Spania 82, one day at a time, day 19, for this part two. And it really should just be introduced as Brazil versus Italy. We've got there, Kieran. Oh yeah, the greatest game in the world ever, ever. Some people will say, why didn't you just do one podcast on this game, Mick? But no, no, you have to really understand the context before you can enjoy it in its fullest form. God, who, who says, who said no, that? No, Bring no. him over here in front of me. Bring him over here in front of me. Slap across the back of the head. Back in line. You can't just do, you couldn't cram this and England Spain into one day. This is fucking Brazil, isn't he? Like, actually, here's the thing, right? I'd never watched this game in full before. Have any of us, had any of us ever watched this match in full before this? No. No. I think Billy Joe, who I'm introducing next, might have. Hello, Billy Joe. Yes, that's almost predictable. I have seen this before, and I'd love to say it was because I, I it's my hobby of mine that I just go back every day and watch a random uh, World Cup game from uh, a random World it Cup. Is but now. No, during COVID, I actually decided to watch it because there was nothing else happening. And I, as Kieran Harrow will attest, he he knew how excited I was for the Bundesliga to re- restart during COVID. So I would have watched <laughs> anything at that stage. And I think every time, each time I have watched it, you you kind of take something away from it. And I'm probably in a slightly different space to maybe other people in that you kind of get frustrated for Brazil the second time on on watching it. I definitely felt that frustration Mm. Mm. uh, the second time around. But sure, we'll get into all that. Yeah, we absolutely will. Colin Sheridan, how are you? Good, Rob. Yeah, uh, watching this with fresh eyes and can attest I think a, a bit to what Billy is saying there because I didn't feel any of that frustration it, it was more the excitement of watching the game for the first time after uh, hearing so much about it reading so much about it down through the years and with that you know I, I, it was actually a very novel uh, enjoyable experience do you know the way when you're like you know you're taking your notes when you're watching the game I was I was watching away and like Colin no, I was coming into this going this is one of these experiences that you need to have you know you know our age group certainly you gotta watch this game you know but i was yeah it was a good game i was enjoying it and it was kind of yeah this this is good but i didn't realize until i went back and just typed out all the things because i can't read my own writing and i realized how much happens in the game like it's every Mm. two minutes there's something notable now it mightn't be a chance but it might be a piece of skill or a tackle or just something something that makes it a fascinating game happens. I, I, it's constant. It's just relentless from the first minute to the last minute. Well, the amount of it's funny you say that, Mick, because the amount of times I wrote down Gentile should have been booked uh, or Enzo Berzo <laughs> shades because the sunglasses are. Wow. Is the random shot of the king at one point? Does the king just pops into screen for no and, reason? Boom. And that's got the thing. And Usually we revert to kind of the, the satorial elegance of the managers because the games are so boring or bad. But in this one, as Mick says, it's just like so much happening on and off the field. But yeah, it, it, it nearly packages all the things you, you always wanted to know about that era of football, I think, into one game. And that's the beauty of it because it has the names, has the players, has the teams. And has a lot of the kind of the trademark elements of um, that era of football, which usually we get in small little dispatches and we have to join them together like a, a jigsaw. Where in this one, it's just like the complete picture. The only thing I'd add to that is that Burzo had his blazer thrown over his shoulders like James Brown. You know, he was that cool. It was it was impressive. I thought I thought he was going to come out and start giving us the whole, you know. 
Oh man! Get oh man! I've just, I've just, I've just got this vision. No, you know the way. Do, do you know the way the end of the James Brown shows back in the day were like James is leaving the stage, but I gotta do one more tune, baby. And he tries to come back, and the guy's kind of pulling him away. Going, no, 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 James, you've given us enough. Now I gotta do one more tune, baby. It's a bit like that with this match. It's like. Go on in. No, we got in. The final whistle has to go on. No, no, give us more. Give us five more minutes. Give us five more minutes. Like the referee plays 50 seconds of extra time. Like even the stadium, I just can't get over it. I think if you saw it in its design, you're like, how do you squeeze people in like that? Like in the seats, they're sitting on top of each other. It's an absolute gladiatorial arena. Love it. It's amazing. And you're you're, like, because because the, the feed that we watch it on, you get a shot of the stadium and there was one particular shot it's a really steep angle looking up at an uncovered stand a curve it might be a terrace it might be seats but like you say rob they're jammed in but it's just a scene again it's like the i remember we referred to the bernabeo and another match it looked like the, the crowd just going up into the sky this is like that as well only it's got this cloudless blue sky behind it italian fans going as far as the eye can see and it's just the area looks just like it's just vertical. It's almost like the crowd are hanging out over the state out over the pitch. It's incredible. It's it's like they crammed a stadium into the courtyard of a block of flats. <laughs> yeah. Of which people are watching on the balconies with flags and everything. Love it. Yeah, like we've we've bemoaned this a few times watching games in the empty Camp Nou as opposed <laughs> to the Bernabeu. And you you are just kind of it's bewildering i know it's they arrange in advance what games are in what venues but to me this seemed like the opportunity to make an exception to say do you know what we have a stadium a few miles from here that is three times the size of this (laughs) and and might afford some people a little bit of elbow room in the stands right that's a fair point 40 years later yeah. When we know the significant, we know the outcome of the game, and we know what happened, and we know how both teams are regarded now. But like at the time, Brazil were expected to walk through this game. The Italians were still a very ordinary-looking group with a striker up front who really, on all known form, shouldn't have been there. Paolo Rossi. Okay, well they beat Argentina. Good performance. They're still that much behind Brazil that you could say, yeah, let's put it in the new camp. But like, it wouldn't have filled the new camp at all. It's, this was not that kind of game. No, and, and I think the atmosphere here lends itself to the classic that develops. I mean, we've kind of joked at various times during this that, you know, certain contests should have taken place in a bull ring. This <laughs> felt like the one that did. And like the atmosphere is unbelievable. Now I watched... I think I watched a different feed to the rest of you. I watched the one that FIFA put up during lockdown. And mm. I'm pretty sure the commentary had been added more recently because there's all these telling little I references to, I know that Serginho's much maligned and I know that, and you're kind of going, you couldn't have known any of this at the time. You're, you're commentating after the fact. Yeah. But one of the early ones is like, oh, Paolo Rossi, trying very hard to justify his place in the team so much controversy about his selection and i'm like boom <laughs> one minute later absolutely on rossi and i mean he was he was going nowhere in this tournament and as i say like like brazil were so fancied like to the point that oscar 
the Brazilian defender remembered years later, like he could remember some of the other players discussing the strengths and weaknesses of Poland, who were going to play the winner or, you know, whichever team got through. You know, that was that was there as well for Brazil to deal with. This near complacency that, yeah, we're good enough. Like Falcao, who played in Italy, was getting slagged by the other players. Because you've got a really handy number in Serie A looking at the state of Italy, you know. And he was kind of having to push push back at that a little bit, you know. So there was a lot for Brazil to deal with and all that. One of the other lines in commentary that said that Falcao had been expected to be on the bench for most of the tournament and started the first game because yeah, Cerezo uh, was was injured for the first one and I'm kind of going hang on a second have I got all this wrong because Falcao was the highest paid player in the world at that point in time I read that somewhere else as well Kieran. totally separate someone said Derso was expected to continue um, which is really interesting Billy Joe it just try a game for me here for a second imagine just for a split second it's just before kickoff and we've we've watched all these games which we have and I say to you who's going to win well I I think that yeah, it's what it's as the lads have said there. You have to put it in the context of the time. Italy won two World Cups. What was it, thirty four and thirty eight? Um, yeah, effectively Mussolini's World Cups. Like yeah. the, the, there's a, a sense in Italy that there's almost a stain over these because of the regime that was in place when they were won. And and there was rumours of all sorts of carrying ons doping and all that sort of stuff for whether it's true or not. So that they're removed, they're a long time removed from from the ultimate success. You know, Syria in 1982 isn't doesn't have the respect it has by 1992 in terms of what happens in the the ten years and the teams that 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 it produces there. So I I don't think that people see Italy as the power that we definitely would have seen them you know, throughout the 90s, you know, like 80s and 90s and, and what they go and do afterwards. And whereas Brazil are a- absolutely the gold standard in, in international football in, in 1982 and Italy as well, on top of all that, not having the, the success at international level recently, are seen as a one-trick pony that can only do Catenaccio and are, are, are so defensive that way. Uh, so I, I can understand why people feel that way um, and I think it's just evidence of the way international football has changed in, in some respects even now it's even more so than that because you have so many more competitive teams and that ma- ma- many of these games are you know ultra competitive game number one what you need to know three team group if you're just joining this podcast now Brazil just need a draw because they have a 3-1 victory over Argentina Italy only won 2-1 over Argentina so they must win the game game one or game on Italy 3, Brazil 2. Colin, it starts at 100 miles an hour. doesn't really slow down either, but it starts at 100 miles an hour. It does, it does. And, um, you know, Brazil are on the front foot kind of from kickoff. Um, so again, in your naivety of watching this, you're like, okay, yeah, this is, uh, this is beginning the way we all expect it to go. And uh, very, very quickly... You know, you start one way and you think it's going to continue that way. Um, but no, uh, Italy, they just have this complete lack of, uh, that's probably not a lack of respect. It's probably the ultimate respect they have for Brazil, which is that just they're playing their own game uh, quite quite quickly. They go get on the offensive and Rossi scores, Paulo Rossi scores, the much talked about for what the first time in how many internationals in four years and 10 internationals after serving his ban. The goal comes after 
what, five minutes? Five minutes. Yeah. Five, five minutes. First. And, 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 and it's a great goal, um, especially brilliant in the build-up is uh, Bruno Conte, the way he, he you know, wins the ball and uh, uh, flicks it out to the wing with the outside of his left foot. And uh, the cross from the left back is just absolutely sublime. And there's Rossi at the back post. Brilliant, brilliant headed goal, pure striker goal, and not a goal you'd expect off a guy who's so low on confidence, self-professed, so low on confidence, uh, pretty much depressed with football after going through what he has, uh, his, his, his exile. And an unbelievable start to the game. So you can barely draw a breath and suddenly the whole narrative of this game gets flipped. Your expectations of the game uh, get flipped. And I suppose the beauty of it is that uh, Brazil, who obviously only need to draw, as you said, um, suddenly need... You know their their World Cup is in peril. They need to they need to score. It's only five minutes in, of course, but it just it just literally lights the whole thing up. Because even watching it, knowing what I know, and now even watching it, having never seen it before, I was caught completely off guard at the how it started and how quickly Italy, uh, you know, came out of the blocks, scored, and got a lead. Like this is this is where we press pause for Paolo Rossi. You know, he's coming into this game as we mentioned on on no form. I would say that, you know, even regardless of what, what happens later on in this game, what will happen in this game, the first five minutes of this match are the most important five minutes of his entire football career. It cha- it's life-changing because he does four things in the first five minutes that tell you this, this is all changed now. Everything is changing now. In the second minute, he comes out from his position and he tackles Falcao from behind in the centre circle, right? He hasn't done anything like this before. I mean, he's been so peripheral, but now he's coming out and he's tackling Falcao. Uh, he draws a foul a couple of minutes later. It's a beautiful piece of skill and he draws a foul. And in the same minute, Tardelli gets a cross in to find Rossi in the box, but the ball just gets caught under his feet. He can't get it away. So three things he's done and automatically, now he's a menace. And the next thing he does is score this magnificent goal. You've got this beautiful piece of skill by Conti on the right flank and a, a pass from the outside of his boot across the field, crossing the box from, from Cabrini and Rossi totally unmarked. Sensational goal. Like it, The goal itself speaks to a lot of things that had been floating around in, in, in the pre-match in terms of Brazil and where they could be got at in terms of their weakness down the right-hand side, what was described as a kind of a cranky, interaction between Socrates and Zico coming in and you know occupying the same spaces uh, they immediately Brazil exploited down the left but I mean Rossi remember in this tournament alone he's it's been suggested he's, he's having a homosexual affair with another player um, he said himself just before the tournament started you know everyone expects miracles from me but I've been idle for two years morally depressed for so long and I only started a comeback a few days ago this is pre-World Cup this is too much for anyone that's Paolo Rossi before the World Cup and that mood is seen all the way through in his form up to this point but that five minutes, that opening five minutes, it sets the tone for Italy and it sets the tone for Paolo Rossi and it's a life-changing five minutes. That opening five minutes, uh, there's so many transitions between the two teams and there's so many crisp, like strings of neat passes by both and like the technique in retaining possession between those transitions is is unreal, but... Do you know when you'd be playing football manager or something in the past and there's the simulated game from above where you just see a team all going one way and then another team all going the other way and it just moves up and down the pitch. That's what the first five minutes was like. And 
All that was really was Italy figuring out they're following the ball. And once they'd cracked that, um, you mentioned Conti. If you watch on the replay for that goal from behind the goal, you can see all of the Brazilian team have been sucked to one side of the field. You get the switch pass, uh, the cross from Cabrini, and at this stage, the panic is Brazil are all now rushing to the open side, which gives Rossi the space he needs for the header at the back post. Like, it's right, left, bang. In that one moment, we see ultimately why Brazil didn't win this World Cup, because they just left themselves too open at times. Like, their attacking play is outrageously good, but they've no structure to their defence. Billy Joe, is it individual or collective for Brazil there in defensive failure? The, the first goal is, is a team uh, letdown in that there's no pressure on Cabrini when he's whipping in the ball at all at all. The defensive line is too deep. There's no one within three metres of Rossi when he's nodded in at the far post. So I think that's, a, that's a, a midfield and defensive line problem. There should be pressure on the ball coming in. Now, if you want to talk about Rossi's third goal, that to me, that's a clear individual error. But we'll talk about that goal in, in, in its time because it's, it's such it's it's a it's a heartbreaker. So I think it's a, it's a mixture of both. But I think what we probably don't look back on enough is that this Brazil team was all about their midfield. Like there were serious problems either side yeah. of that, you know, up front mm-hmm. and behind it. When you don't have a complete team, there's only so much uh, masking, even absolute excellence in a, in a midfield can do. And then from the other point of view, you look at it. And the, diff- the key difference maker, the best performer on the field on the day was a forward and, and Paolo Rossi. And, 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 and you still need one of those as well, no matter how good your midfield is. Mick, Kieran talks, Kieran talks about transitions there. I mean, the transitions continue straight after this goal. Yeah, they just keep going. I mean, and that's the thing about the Italians. They keep pushing on. They keep pushing on, but the Brazilians are pushing on as well. So it's just back and forth and back and forth. Literally, what are we talking? Five, six minutes later, there's a couple of mistakes on the edge of the Italian box. Calavalli doesn't clear a ball. Shirea makes a fucking mess of it uh, and allows Zico to play Serginho through. And I mean, straight away, straight away, you're going, this is, again, here's another man who can reinvent his World Cup right here, you know? But instead of, you know, he's one-on-one with Zoff. Instead of scoring the goal that will open everything up for him, he drags it appallingly badly wide. And what's most notable for me is Zico's right beside him and Zico is raging. Zico is kind of, his hands are out going, I don't know what he's saying to him. So much of what happened to him in this game especially was was more collectively, defensively, um, and not down to Thurginio's failings. But the poor guy, he just stands out like a like a sore thumb in every way. Um, like a lighthouse in a bog. Wow. Like, Whoa. you know, I mean, Whoa. no, like it, 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 he, he reminds me of a dream I'd have where I'd <laughs> be on, Go on. A, a brilliant, you know, football team. Mm. And you have no shorts on, no top on, no football boots. <laughs> And you can't play, and you've flippers for feet, which is how I, which I was, which is how I always felt, you know, playing football with Billy Joe. Obviously, this is where this was going, but um, no, it, like it is, there is like you nearly feel pain for him because you know it can't be as bad for him as as how it was on that day. And it's like Billy said, it's like it's a tale of one strike or one end, and in this instance, like uh, how bad it was for him at the at the other end for Brazil. But just compared to like. Players around him, uh, Zico and, and Falcao and uh, 
Walker days. He was just he he just stood out, especially in this game. Everything went wrong wrong for him. But there was a couple. Maybe we've spoken about this before with Brazil in this World Cup. But they tried to score from the kickoff. Um, oh yeah, wasn't that uh, weird? After the the first goal. And there is a little bit of that, like, um, it, listen, it ties into their entire naivety, I think, as, as, as a team, which was ultimately their downfall. But there is a, there's a, there's a, there's a wackiness to them or a craziness to them at times that nearly comes off as desperation very early in the game. It's not desperation because, you know, they get, regain control and they, they find a way to get back into the game. But they, you know, Serginho aside, they do, a, they do a fair bit of crazy shit, to be honest. And it's, uh, <laughs> They it's, do, though. It's, they it's, do. It's a bit like, hard to, to fathom. Yeah. That kickoff, right? You're right. That kickoff. I mean, yeah. I think they're trying to lob this off. <laughs> like, who's, who's not even off his line, by the he's way. He's not even off his line. <laughs> it's, it's mental. You also have in this game, like, you know, there's a series of free kicks from Eder where he goes back, I'd, I would say, a good 20 yards. Like, there's one free kick where he goes back into the center circle. Like to start his run up, and the, the free kick's probably thirty yards out. It's just madcap shit yeah. at times. Like, but like we do, in fairness, get the palate cleanser after the Serginio miss a minute later. Like, just mm. complete beauty, total there's beauty. T- there's only one man to describe this goal, Billy Joe. Stay near the microphone. Get, get, like, get, can we bring in like, explosions in the sky now to do the soundtrack over Billy just describing the <laughs> <laughs> orchestra music starts Father Stone monotone Father Stone from things yeah well he played it up and yeah. it was a good bit of skill by Zico Bad uh, no, I, I have to say this is when I think of the 82 World Cup when I think of Socrates this this is what I think of. And this is the football. This is the football that is lost, you know, in this defeat to many Brazilians in the in the eras and periods thereafter, because it's just it's just fantastic. And, you know, you think about the move and when you watch first, you kind of think how many people are involved in that? And then you realize, for sake, it was only Socrates and Zico that were involved in that build up. It such was their quality. And, you know, my love for, a, a, a you know, a 60 yard one too, like Socrates plays this ball to Zico and he moves you know, away from the centre of the field out towards the sideline. Three Italian defenders around him. And then he the most deliberate but deceptive back heel you'll ever see. And there's a famous photograph of it which it catches him just in that frack that moment of the back heel where he's hunched over nearly pushing the defenders before him and then about to reverse it and come back and then the absolute the first piece of absolute class in this is when he comes back inside he feathers a touch and then instantly off the outside of his right boot plays it in between two defenders and Socrates is powering in a straight in a straight line and there's no stopping him and Socrates knows there's no stopping him and then with the, an absolute thing of beauty is this he, he takes two touches his first touch in normal circumstances would bring somebody straight ahead but he's such ultra confidence in his ability and that he's ahead his touch brings him slightly in at about a 30 degree angle and then he waits and he waits and he waits and he side puts it in at the near post and then the absolute chef's kiss is the puff of white chalk Raising off the line as the ball <laughs> slots into the back of the net. It's an absolute Chapeau. Chapeau. sumptuous goal. Uh, 
Oh my god, I don't know which was better, the description or the goal. Yeah. I know. That's a goal. Billy, oh. Billy Joe is the Socrates of oh, goal descriptions. Goal description. <laughs> Especially when the eighties Colin, the nineteen eighties ones and early nineties key. I'd say that K Tel video, that one was worn thin. Oh wow. I mean oh. it's it's an amazing uh, piece of skill but you, you get the sense again on the replay you're watching that one again from overhead and it's Socrates coming in as you say he, he just gets that last angle I swear to God he gives Sof the eye Sof's on his arse uh, because, because you're wondering like how does Sof get beaten at the near post in such a tiny spot to put it you know what I mean like yeah and, and he like you're you're going okay he's he's got the angle now he'll turn across his body he'll go the opposite side but he's not he gives him the eye and then he puts it in but, but in the I smallest think gap I, between Zaf on the post but I think you're right I think you're right there it's that angle with once he brings that ball in the angle towards Zoff, it totally befuddles him because Zoff knows he can't advance at that stage because there's too too much of the goal open if Socrates had gone straight ahead in the angle that he was running Zoff knows he can advance because all Socrates can do is hook it back towards goal it's 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 just it's geometry it's just skill it's it's just absolutely and between those two players it's 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 amazing really Socrates scores this joyous goal it turns out that he's not having a fun time at all at the world cup he's not enjoying the world cup really at all he did it he did a diary for a brazilian football magazine called placar throughout the tournament uh, and we have some of it unfortunately we don't have the entry for the italian game but all you need to see is some of the other bits and pieces that he, that he offered he's doing a lot of reading as we know famously he's not doing any drinking which isn't helping matters um He's reading The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. That's what he started off uh, the, 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 the World Cup with. But uh, That'd put says, any man in bad form, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, he says at one stage, uh, he says at one stage that he feels that everyone is in the dumps, not trying to show it, so as not to provoke greater depression in the squad. And people are very, he's just bored. He says the games are what, the games are what we have as our only entertainment you know, he's just sort of, he's stuck in nice hotels. There's one hotels. bit, Nick, where, he's, where they're having, he's, who's having a shaving foam fight? And he's like, oh, this is this bit of excitement. And then he goes, can you imagine? Like, they're fighting with shaving foam. Can you all imagine <laughs> back home? It's like, oh, oh I, I know, yes. Therese and, and Isidoro were the two that were Paulo Isidoro <laughs> having a shaving foam fight. And he was like, can you imagine? This is the level <sighs> of entertainment we have. In the next, like, in the next paragraph in the diary, actually, it's interesting because he's asked... Uh, and on this particular day uh, after training, he, someone asks him to define Brazil's game plan. And Socrates says, I think there's only one or two words to describe it. Organised mess, he said. <laughs> I mean, he says, I mean, Wednesday, the 30th of June. I'm not sure what was going on. It was the day after Italy-Argentina. And he fancies, it, it's interesting, actually, he fancied Italy to win it. Yeah, to win that game but he says today there was no match there's no game there's nothing I'm kind of depressed it's not even good to talk about homesickness again it's funny all my life I wanted to play in a World Cup I'm in it I'm aware that I'm not doing badly but without a doubt I'm frustrated the cup is not what I imagined it does not allow exchanges with people from other countries everyone is on their own side and with their own I imagine it's better to watch it than to participate in it maybe I can go to the next one with my family and children it will be much more fun going through the diary the, I think some of it's coded 
like you say he's not drinking or having any fun but he does make reference to we had a bit of a celebration on one of our days <laughs> off and you're yeah. kind of going he went to a yeah. concert mm. <laughs> like mm. this is the brazil team of 82 you know the celebration wasn't in a toys r us or something like that it was <laughs> they were they were getting a few bevies in it was just slightly less maudlin than the one that probably follows this game but i mean what I couldn't understand, when they moved to Barcelona, they put them like in a forestry somewhere in central Catalonia. And you're kind of going, well, no wonder they're depressed. Like, put these boys on the beach in Barcelona. Don't don't hide them away in the woods. Let them be themselves. And, or maybe on the other hand, he was more worried that they would be themselves. I don't know. But... <laughs> oh, man. Well, the main thing is they got the equaliser and they kicked on from there and nothing went wrong, Colin. For a few minutes, they, they seem to have figured out what they need to do. But Italy, uh, as Mick said earlier, they just keep on pressing. They keep on. That's the thing. I mean, for all the build up regarding Brazil and for what strong favourites they were, uh, you know, if you were to swap jerseys in this game, you wouldn't genuinely be able to pick. Uh, aside from moments of individual brilliance from Socrates, especially. Um, like Italy, they didn't go back into themselves. They didn't sit back. They didn't revert to you know the classical Italian style of trying to hold and uh, and press and that. They actually played on the front foot and they pressed Brazil, uh, and they looked every bit as comfortable uh, offensively as Brazil did. Uh, but what they had, which which Brazil did not have, which led us to the second uh, Italian goal, the second Rossi goal was that they actually had. Uh, Defensive stability epitomized uh, by Gentile, which who gets his yellow card after finally. this goal? Yes, uh, yeah, finally. He, but, and and in fairness, he really does. He delivers on this one. Like it is, it is absolutely impossible not to give him a yellow card there. Oh, how Brazil could have done with the Gentile in this game? Mm. Um, what a difference he would have made because. Again, the, the 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 second Rossi goal, when it comes, how it comes, is just a complete disaster and epitomizes the the chaos and that Socrates mentioned about themselves in, in the diary because it is it is absolutely chaotic. Uh, it's a it's a travesty of a goal as well. Just one po- point on Gentile is that uh, when you, watching it a second time, you understand that whether it's called what did you call it a organized mess, Socrates called it that without Zico functioning. Without Zico functioning, it kind of doesn't work, really, you know. And whereas when you saw Brazil at their absolute in their pomp in some of the games, Zico was dropping into midfield. He's working. He's really busy. He's getting the ball on the half turn. He's playing a first time pass. You know, you can remember that pass he played in. I think it was for Junior in one of the one of the games. I think it might have been was it against New Zealand? Um, and you have that. That sort of ability, whereas Gentile is so tight in him, he can't get on the half turn at all. The only time he gets on the half turn, he produces an otherworldly piece of skill with the back heel to set up Socrates' first goal. And the second Rossi goal, though, is is just something that happens when there's a lack of concentration because Cerezo just turns inside. He sees three Brazilian shirts and he doesn't identify one. He just nonchalantly knocks the ball in the direction of all three of them. I think Falcao was maybe there, Luzinho uh, and Oscar. And the only one that's sharp is Rossi. And they're, mm. the three of them are kind of looking, now one of these is going to take it and they don't. And Rossi just takes it one touch in and he, he takes it, he hits it early and it's not great goalkeeping and it finds its way at the back of the net. Because Cerezo, I think, has a very good game. 
overall outside of this absolute calamity it's a very and I mean, it's funny enough it actually comes off of um like there's a foul by oscar on antonioni just beforehand it's a really nasty hack um but the free kick gets deflected to perez the goalkeeper he bowls it out to leandro the in inverted commas right back leandro has had some great games in this world cup none of them as a right back he gets the ball gives yeah. it to cerezo and it's just such a lazy pass in between falco and oscar and rossi is in what I would say is I think that the goal is a reward for the courage of the Italians in terms of how they have ad- addressed this first 25 minutes or so. We're up, by the way, we're only 25 minutes in and it's 2-1, right? But they have gone after Brazil and there is a certain courage in that. And, you know, in the way that Berezot has tried to create this team as a kind of Catenaccio 2.0 with a kind of a more attacking idea about themselves, um, there's something in that, I think, Antonioni, as I just mentioned there. I mean, Antonioni, right, as an incredibly creative player, he was nearly killed the previous winter playing for Fiorentina. He was involved in a clash, another clash with a goalkeeper. Goalkeeper came out uh, in a game against Genoa and absolutely took the head off him. What uh, the hell footage. was going on in football that this I was happening? Know. I don't know. This is It was a, a carbon copy of a challenge we're going to see very soon. Yeah. Um, and we've seen twice in the World Cup as well. Yes. Left him with, with a very, very serious head injury. Uh, one of the Gen- Genoa players ran away saying he's dead. He's dead. The Genoa doctor performed CPR. The Fiorentina Massor brought him around with mouth to mouth. He'd cracked oh his skull God. and had a heart attack. Jesus. Um, they thought he was gone, but they got him. They got him into, uh, got him off the field. Got him into an ambulance. Took him to hospital. In, in like this, this, this blew my mind. Right, so this is all like there's footage of all of this. He's got to the hospital and he's been wheeled out of the ambulance, and there's a journalist there with a microphone, and he sticks it in Antonioni's face. How are you? And uh, Antonioni is like, I, I feel better. I have, I have a little of a headache. They have to operate on him. Uh, he's fine but I mean it's the following spring he comes back like the public prosecutor in Florence had actually prepared a legal action against the general goalkeeper it was that bad this is um, the, the 81 ref- 82 season winter yeah in November of 1981 in Syria and, and the referee work- oh, oh by the way I don't think there was any foul either given the referee arrived at the hospital at some, at some later <laughs> stage with the ball for Antonioni as a souvenir and he's he's in the he's in he gets put into the World Cup squad but anyway this is a very long roundabout way of coming to the point that why do we look at the likes of Gentile and Shirea and others and say well they are the aggressors or that that Italy have this side to them which they undoubtedly do they also have this incredibly creative side to them that we see here the likes of Conti the likes of Antonioni there's terrific courage in these guys as well knowing what kind of punishment is going to be meted out onto them and in particular I do think that Conti there's something in these players that they've decided because like Rossi had even said before the game that they felt they felt that like Brazil were from another planet there's something in their minds goes I'm going to grab today and I'm going to make today mine whatever that means you know whatever that win or lose or draw I'm going to make it mine and these guys are performing beyond anything we've seen so I think that goal is a reward for that kind of courage to just go I've only fucking one go at this and we're fucking playing Brazil and I'm going for it. The something is Berzot because his philosophy is under threat. You know, they're saying, what's he talking about total football? That's not the Italian way. He's not producing it now, so off with you. You know, as you said, coming into the game, they weren't expected to win. So I think, you know, there are moments when 
a manager is tested and he knows, okay, I'm not under any pressure here. Nobody's expecting anything, but I believe if you play this way, you can get at them. You can be brave. You can show some courage and you can shock the world. And that's effectively what Italy do from the very first minute in this game. Over the next period, before we get another goal, there's going to be two questionable penalty calls for both teams. Uh, Rossi's going to have another guilt-edged chance. For me, he just can't get his body the right side of the ball to get the shot off and he ends up kind of fluffing as a consequence. But he's just buzzing at this stage. Conti's buzzing. Uh, Graziani's outstanding. You know what I mean? Like there are players having the game of their lives for the Azuri here. Just in the build of the goal too though, and, and it kind of points to where Brazil were so indisciplined. Like you mentioned the foul, Mick, uh, by Oscar on Tardelli. Pretty brutal foul with the free kick just before the goal that happens. And it's not something you kind of associate with that Brazil team. And it was more down to their disorganization because even at the time of the foul, there's around four Brazilian players around Tardelli and he just gets hacked down. Not forget about moments later that the referee is just telling them telling to get up and get on with it, even though he's, he's legitimately after getting very badly fouled. But I think it, as much as Italy were playing out of themselves in that regard and playing, you know, nearly a more Brazilian style of football at times, like uh, when they came under pressure, as they did just before they gave away and Cherezo put the ball across and the three statues stood looking at it. Italy were forcing them in on the back foot into those mistakes and forcing them to be in ill-disciplined. And like those that ill-discipline, while Gentile, Gentile's ability to tactically foul was part of his uh you know the the mastery of his game with brazil it was just part of the whole dysfunction of their defensive structure which was non-existent so but i'm just going to put it to all is right at this point because we're about 35 40 40 minutes now into the first half right i would i would say that for brazil junior Eder, and Serginho have all been either poor or not in the game at all Cerezo has made a bad mistake. Oscar is very quiet. The only players that are really playing for Brazil are Socrates, Falcao. And I would, I would actually say Zico's having a good game, despite the, despite the punishment he's getting. I mean, he's involved in a bunch of different things in between the goals and stuff. And as was mentioned just there, he's about to get his shirt torn by Gentile three minutes before halftime in the most blatant penalty you'll ever see that he doesn't get. But for all, of, all the good things, and they are doing great things, Italy, Brazil are off like. There's something else about that I didn't notice in any game prior to this with Brazil. The jerseys, you know, just always look the canary yellow, okay? Yeah, but throughout this game them. and even early on, you can see the sweat. Like when Serginho misses one of his many guilt edge chances early in the first half, you can see that there's a discoloration because they're sweating. I just wonder was the heat a factor for them? But then you would think it should be a factor for both teams. Maybe I'm getting to this too soon, but I think there's a, a mentality issue with this as well. I think that Brazil didn't prepare themselves for going behind. And I think they were a bit flustered in their approach in in chasing the game as such. And it really did feel like they were chasing the game. At no stage did they feel like that they were under control of what of what they were doing i keep coming back to Sergino, okay okay <laughs> you can't help yourself i just can't it can't be all his fault it can't be someone has no, to no, I, it nearly is though it, it, an awful lot of it is um like he just he doesn't even 
at times looked like the first cousin of a footballer. I, I was kind of thinking, how did this guy get this opportunity if this is the greatest team never to win the World Cup? So I kind of did some digging and it was actually the, the Socrates diary. He mentions Kareka's made a comeback at home and he's done okay. And I'm going, hold on, if Kareka was around the scene, why wasn't he playing? And I, I knew that he had missed this World Cup, but not exactly what was going on. So I checked, mm. like, like he's declared unfit to participate three days before the World Cup. Three but days. We're, now, we're ta now talking a couple of weeks later and he's back at home playing. He's um, a 22 year old superstar at this point, 45 goals is it for his club in about 75 games. It's, it's yeah. an amazing start to his career. And, I, and I'm thinking like, was Sergino, like who else did they call up in his absence? And, um, was surprised to find it was Napoleon Dynamite, or rather Roberto Dynamite. <laughs> um, and Roberto Dynamite is a, is a Vasco da Gama legend, like he, and he's a proven goal scorer. He's played for Barcelona. And you're going, where has this guy been? Why isn't he in consideration? And I'm thinking, God, he must be terrible if he can't get in ahead of Sergio. The only thing that's going to ruin their ability to win football matches in this organized mess is the lack of a genuine predator up front. And I would say, had Kareka been here, this might have been game over by halftime. At halftime, if we can go there, Mick, there's a dressing room, there's a disconsolate few players, take us in there. Take me, I'll take you by the hand. Cerezo in particular is distraught. He's completely devastated by his error, um, to the point he's in tears. He, he's to the point that you're wondering, is he going to go back out again? Socrates has to take him aside and give him a very, very long pep talk. But you can you can imagine, I mean, considering, you know, the conversations before the game, you know, Tele Santana's last words to them before they went out uh, was actually to turn to Falcao, who plays for Roma, and says, well, you play with these guys all the time. Is there anything we need to, anything we need to think about? And he says, well, they're better than what we think. <laughs> or they're better than what they've looked. And he also mentioned Cabrini and that Gentile will stay on Zico and all this kind of stuff. But it's interesting, again, a draw is never mentioned. That's all they need. A draw is not mentioned. Only before the game, Santana mentioned it once that the draw is enough. But in Zico's memory, it's only to remind them not to relax. It, it would never be that they were told to hold back. So in ways, kind of being 2-1 down, I'm not sure they're panicking because they're going to be going after the game anyway. So it's kind of more, what aren't we doing well here? And you can see it from the get-go straight away, second half. They up the pace. They, they're trying to dictate the game now. And I would say, we can get into this now, like, I mean, I mean for, for about 20 minutes, they own the game, but they just can't break them down. They don't get the break they need. Obviously, they get the break they need to get the equaliser, but they don't. There are more opportunities. The Italians actually buckle during this period. Like, there's no other Completely. way you can Completely. describe... Brazil's equaliser. Colovati has gone off and Giuseppe Borgomi comes on. It's worth noting. Who, 19 who's eight, years of age. 18 or 19 years of age. Yeah. Like, this with is an impressive tash on, yeah. for such a, you know, for a teenager. <laughs> Great growth uh, there. Great growth. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to note that because we will be talking about him in future World Cup podcasts. But, I mean, what's, let's talk about the goal. They, they're basically, they're opens a gap within the Italian defence. The width of the goal Falcao must be just looking at that gun. What the hell just happened? I turned once and, and the Red Sea parted in front of me. Like, I think the pace that they moved to in those first 20 minutes was tiring Italy. And I also think, look, we should talk about the pace generally of this game. This was not the kind of game pace I expected for 1982. This felt modern. 
Yeah, it, it, there's no doubt about that. I think you described it perfectly. I think Falcao is even shocked in some respects that he's he takes a touch and he knows he's got to hit this with his left boot. And then when no one advances towards him, he takes another touch and literally tees himself up and he's striking the ball with his left boot as it's on the 18-yard line. And he smashes it. It's past Dino's off before he even knows. It's it's a great strike. And it's the, it's the only piece of poor defending you see from the Italians in, in this game. Other than that, they were so on point. They knew exactly where they needed to be. And I think you could be right, Kieran, that a lot of it is, is down to the pace, the heat that was in the stadium, the pace the game was played at because it was it was really, really quick. And the Italians deserve credit for that because when they had the opportunity even to counterattack throughout the second half, because they were under pressure for the most of it, they were dynamic and they were breaking out of defence at speed as quickly as they possibly could. And Billy Joe, if I ever score a goal ever in my life again in a five-side game, ever, I'm going to celebrate it like Falca. Well, I have to say that I think that we've you see some iconic celebrations from this Brazilian This is that squad. World Cup. Yeah, this, 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 whether whether it be a junior doing his little dance um, after his goal, I think, was that against New Zealand, that goal where, you know, it's 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 instant. It's it, I'm not saying it's spontaneous because I, I do believe they've thought about these things, but it's it's not, you know, there's no navel gazing going on, whereas there's the, the Socrates arms outstretched. It does feel like when you read his diary that he felt he was being crucified. So maybe yeah. that's where he got the inspiration. <laughs> for for <laughs> the listeners, Billy Joel just moved to the back of the room to do an impression of Christ the Redeemer. I don't have enough room. I don't have enough room. But but I think I think look, I think it's the second most uh, most famous celebration in this World Cup where a midfielder runs away shaking his head in absolute you know ecstasy um, but there's a whole lot of relief there and he heads straight for his own dugout I, I hate doing this and I don't actually believe this line right but just to drop the veil on it right Falcao spoke about the celebration many years later he said some of the Italian players would later ask why I was scowling at them during the celebration but I was desperately trying to clear my throat he was choking on chewing gum the time Ah, I don't oh, believe it. Be I don't true. believe it. That can't be true. Ah, we'll say it is. So obviously he was running for the bin in the in yeah. the dugouts. But just on the dugouts, okay? Everyone knows the ones in the new camp are low and buried in. These ones in Saria are like World War II pillboxes. They're so <laughs> little that you can see out of them. Hey, what can they see? They are, I don't get this. Hey, can I put something in here right now just on Falcao? Out of this whole World Cup, he's actually, I, he's my number one Brazilian player out of this World Cup. It's like, uh, this might be... Like and this is I didn't expect to come into it, but I'm just I've decided now after this game as they go out here, he's my number one. For me, it'll probably be Socrates because I know I never saw him play other than you know the short bits you see before you commit to doing a podcast about the World Cup that happened forty <laughs> years ago. Um, so you, you can't understand the fuss, right? But I, I think there's a few things about Socrates. Not to, I, I know this is where you're going with this. Falcao is exceptional, unbelievable. And he really, really is. But for me, Socrates, because he's just so graceful. He's so tall. He's so, he's huge. He's a huge man and he moves like, you know, he's, he's probably the closest thing to what we later saw in Zinedine Zidane that I, you know, I've seen in a midfielder and that's probably not a, an accurate comparison. Falcao <laughs> is an interesting one because 
you know, it kind of has to be said, he doesn't look Brazilian. Nope. It doesn't look, you know, what we associate with a typical Brazilian footballer. He looks like a, an intern, lo- a lawyer in a firm, like just starting out. He, you he, know? Looks, like, he looks he like, looks Sean, like Sean Penn in Carlito's Way. Or yeah. He looks like, yeah. like a cross between Sean Penn and Carlito's Way and early Fraser Crane. Yeah. So he, he, <laughs> That's a good one. He, 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 he doesn't look like... He, Mm, and 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 it's and it's funny because probably the first time I heard the name Falcao was probably in the in the lead up to 1990 in the World Cup 90 annual uh, thingamajig, and you when I got the sticker or whatever, I'm like, Jesus, that's you know that doesn't make any sense, you know, we made a mistake. Um, <laughs> but to watch him play now and like Falcao, that's what that's what's heart, kind of heartbreaking about this is because I mean you had like these midfield players and him. You know, a prince amongst them. You know, he was he was incredible, Rob. Toss of a coin. For me, it's uh it's Socrates, but I mean it's if 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 I was playing football tonight five aside and Falcao showed up and Socrates cried off, I'd be like, Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. I'm Serginio off the top, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just put on these flippers. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm um four four two actually did a tribute issue or kind of a remembrance issue for the eighty two World Cup and they ranked the top ten players. Mm. Anyone want to venture a guess at? I won't ask for the top ten because it's just too much. Well, Billy Joe's actually. I think he's offering to do all ten. No, <laughs> no I still maintain, and I, or, and I think in my understanding of just reading bits and pieces that that Zico is seen as the the boss of, of that team. He's seen as the best player, I think, in Brazil, and I I have to agree with it because I I. I a real appreciation of his skill set after watching these last what five five games they play in the, in this tournament. And oh, yeah. He's he's just he's he's an outstanding number ten. I I think when you look at the absolute number tens, he to me is your is is the is the measuring stick. But I think Falcao within the five games as possibly being the most consistent. That's kind of my argument here. But he's sorry, definitely Kieran. the one who's he's definitely the one that's. That's that's trained on during the tournament, like from where he began to where he is now. He's a different player. But who 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 are the top players here? All right, I'll run through them quickly. A la top of the pops, uh, ten was Paul Breitner. Ooh. Okay, but some Weird. of that's to do with what's to come. <laughs> uh, nine was Ziggy Banyak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eight was Zico. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the next seven hour. Seven was Gaetano Gaetano Soria. Okay. Six, Michel Platini. Mm. Five was Dino Zoff. Yes. Four, mm. Socrates. Mm. Three, Falcao. Oh! Ooh, wow. Okay. Two was Bruno Conti. All right. Unreal. And one was Paolo Rossi. I mean... Mm. Bruno Conti obviously did get to the final. I'm not having that. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. We're, let's, we're, let's not get lost on this wormhole, but I'm not having Rossi as number one. Sorry. Yeah, Top 10. yeah but yeah, we haven't, we haven't seen him. the semi-final and final yet. So I think this is this is a, time, a point in time. But yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to see how he's going to get there. But here's the thing, right, about that Falcao celebration. I think that celebration comes, surely, surely, it comes from relief and just sheer, thank Christ we scored. Because... Yeah. To this, like this is sixty-seven minutes in. They've had twenty-two minutes of Italy, not always on the rack, but you know, Falcao pulls a shot across the goal. Leandro has a shot. Um, Zico is smothered by Zoff when he tries to get through one-on-one with him. Uh, Italy are giving away so much ball. They're quite happy to give away free kicks on the edge of the box and let Edair hit the wall every time. But you also, on the flip side, you have Rossi blatantly shoved over by Luisinho 
for a penalty and you have a rotty chance as well. I just, I have to go. If we could have some platoon music here, Biddy Joe, because um, seven minutes later, you know, I feel like that's the only music that can perfectly underline what happens here. I mean, everything should be fine now. It's 2-2. Just flip and get your, get your crap together, lads. Brazil, they don't. Charlie Sheen is doing the monologue in the back of their heads as his glad you Elias has face. his hands in the yeah. air. Mm. <laughs> it, 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 it is more like though it is more like the final scene as Willem Dafoe is running through and and Barnes is is is, is shooting him from behind. That's what these next six minutes are like because I think the the key the key thing and and I think this we talk, I think Colin mentioned earlier on about naivety and it's mentioned a lot when you when you when you talk about this Brazil team. And I think it's totally unfair for the vast majority of this game apart from the time Falcao scores on the sixty eighth minute to when, you know, Rossi gets the winner, what we know to be the winner, six minutes later. And really when you think of what that Brazil team was made to do, which was pass the ball, keep it among their midfielders and never ever give it back to you if they so wished. They had that ability. But they didn't do that. They decided to go again and uh, uh, get a winner. And you never at once did, it never disheartened Italy because Italy never felt that they had to change their tack at any stage. Italy never felt oh, oh, shit, oh shit, we haven't touched the ball in four minutes. We need a goal to go through because we probably haven't even mentioned here Brazil only needed a draw. What Brazil needed to do after two all was literally keep the ball for the next 10 minutes. Ask it, oh, ask Zico, Zico, will you drop into midfield there? And Adair, will you drop into midfield and stand out there in the left wing? And what we're going to do between the five of us in there is just going to keep the bloody ball and no one will be able to take it off us. And, and you just, Italy, that changes what Italy have to do because Italy don't really have to change that because Brazil are still pressing. And then they get these opportunities to create counterattacks, opportunities to get down the field on breakaways. And that's, that's what their goal comes for. So I think that six minutes is a, is a real lack of understanding of what. Now, maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I don't, maybe that, maybe Zico or Socrates or Falcao, it was never in their mindset ever not to go forward, not to create, not, not to see this thing as a piece of art. That yeah, they I are that's they're, that they're putting out there on a beautiful canvas every time yeah. they play. Whereas there's, there's a, there was an opportunity for them, for them to just rest on the ball. I think they also would have been conscious that for them, the best form of defence was probably attack. Mm. And they couldn't afford to sit back at all. Uh, I mean, no way. It's we've speculated, I'd say, in almost every Brazil game on what was the formation. And it changes so often in this game. Like there are points in the first half where they're so narrow. Like it's it's a four. Mick, I think you said Jonathan Wilson pinned it down as four two two two. Like yeah. yes, at times it is, and that leaves both flanks open wildly for exploitation by Italy. As the game goes on, it it looks more like four one five. <laughs> like it's and and you're just going. This is utter lunacy because you're not cracking the goal here and you're leaving yourselves utterly exposed at the back then when Rossi does get that goal it's not even the kind of goal you would expect with the kind of space that's there it's actually it's a bit of a Lineker goal really isn't it it is, like, it is a mess like I mean it's a corner that's not cleared Two it's a Brazilians... corner that shouldn't have happened yes it's absolutely like, what the hell <laughs> yeah Go, comes across two Brazilians I think it's Socrates and Adair I think yeah Go for the one ball, try to hit it clear. It, they don't. It falls to Conti. His shot is a scuffed shot as well. It's a left foot shot that's scuffed. 
and you've got both Graziani and Rossi are on the edge of the six-yard box onside, and they both swing, and as Rossi gets his boot to it, and there's like, did you notice? I, I maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm in, maybe I'm inventing this in my head, but I was swore there was like a pause for a, se- a like a millisecond where the ball hits the net, where everybody goes walk, <laughs> and yeah. then the whole place goes wild. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. There was a pause, but there was a pause there as well when Junior realised he was just standing idly oh. three yards out from his own goal line playing Junior's everyone on side at He's the exact same spot basically that the goalkeeper was in. And I wouldn't mind, but every other Brazil defender that you know did was three yards outside the six-yard box would have played you know, definitely Rossi offside. And it's just an absolute dereliction of duty that like... You played village soccer back in Belmullet and you take you take you take a corner and you're told to get a push out and in a line, you know, nothing else but to advance five or six yards away. And he's just feckin' standing there. And like he knows he knows as the ball is dropping to Rossi and he kind of sheepishly puts his hand up and then he just uh, yeah, puts it back down. That was the worst. And he realizes like you can't, he, he can't blame any of that on Serginho. Uh, he's not even on the pitch because he's been substituted I was just about to say he is gone but but like joking aside it does point like to a larger malaise within that Brazilian like you know call it naivety or or call it like just you know individual lapses or but I mean that goal obviously it was fatal in, in its consequence but just even how it happened and the type of goal it was as somebody said there it was more of a Lineker goal than anything like classically created or anything but it was again goes to the point of what Brazil were lacking too offensively which was like it was such a striker's goal it was like Rossi just played that role so well that day like he, lo- he looked like the greatest striker in the world that afternoon because yeah. There were three very different types of goals, um, but he took all of them brilliantly. But um, maybe Brazil were just absolutely wiped at that point. But you'd think the position that the Falcao goal had got them into, that they could have managed the situation so much better. And even then, they had uh, like 16 minutes, obviously isn't a very long time, but they did have 16 minutes to correct it all. And um, They only needed the last eight minutes against the USSR. It was 16 minutes of panic. Like the, yeah. the yeah. against the USSR, we saw Cam. Okay. Yeah. For the yeah. 16 minutes of this, what we saw is the aforementioned 415. Was Socrates kind of meant to be the John Fashionu of this blunt instrument they resorted to? Like it was the first time you've seen this Brazilian team just go route one, prettier route one, you might imagine, but it's, it's not effective. Oh. It's the most beautiful. It's the most beautiful mm. kind of interpretation of Wimbledon that you've ever seen. I mean, it's 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 like it's been painted by Da Vinci or something. I mean, if everybody played Route One like that, Jesus, we'd be we'd be elected. But like Socrates, kind of was. I didn't think Socrates had a good second half at all. Junior, the only thing Junior did in the entire game, apart f- apart from put his hand weakly up trying to claim an offside that would ne- that never was. He got. He was involved in the Falcao goal. He 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 set him up, but. Other than that, he did a couple of other things, but nothing, nothing really. And just to what you said earlier, Karen, just about the heat and, and all that, I thought from about 10 minutes, with 10 minutes left, I thought the Brazilians looked so tired. Mm. They just, it wasn't that they were running out of ideas, I'd say, but they just looked wrecked. And like by the end, I think Socrates had a, had the ball in the had the ball in the net, but it was offside. But Italy had a goal disallowed. 
which I thought was a, like I, I was again another one of those moments where it's like uh, what was the offside rule at the time like how did that you know like there's still time for that final last minute flourish that just makes you go oh my god oh Dino's off yeah, Billy Joe, Oscar has, has a header there. Like, I mean, it's really strange because they think it's across the line because I think Zoff lost control of him, did he? Was it a great yeah. save? Or uh, they they, they tried to claim it as across yeah. the line, but it's, 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 it's very obvious it didn't. No, it's a great save. It's a great save. I can't remember where the ball comes. I know it's just, it's there at the back post and Zoff is in a really good position and it's it's played down to his left and he gets down really, really sharp for for an older gentleman. I suppose the corner then that comes shortly afterwards. Oh, that played... last corner, that's an epic scene just before the set of Edder. Has to, is it Edder that's putting it in? Have yeah, I got that right? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's yeah. literally tearing up the advertising up to make more room, yeah, to make <laughs> more room for his run-up. I think there's something so poetic about the fact that like big corporate banners are just getting in the way of Edder getting a beautiful corner. But it probably tells you a bit about his mentality and that he, he had a really poor game. But like the way he whipped in that corner, there was no playing it safe there and lobbing it up to the 18 yard box to no. say, well, somebody get a second ball. Like he is just smashed. Like that could easily have gone into the side netting and you'd never ever be let take a corner ever, ever again and be remembered for that terrible corner. But uh, I just want to add one thing that I noticed in that period. Uh, and I'm not saying it was desperation. It's happened all throughout the game. Long range shooting, we'd spoke about a lot about this Brazil team throughout this tournament, had you know been exceptional. We've seen Socrates, Falcao, Adair, Zico scores from a free kick from outside the box, all score from from outside the box in, in the in this World Cup. You what you saw in this game was a lot of really well struck balls from outside the box that just happened to go straight down the throat of, of Zoff and his handling was absolutely sure. Now, that's not his fault. He still, he makes the good saves that we we're talking about. But you just kind of think sometimes that nearly they nearly hit the ball too clean at times and, you know, a bit of swerve on something that might have gone past him. And even in that last corner, and Rob, you mentioned it there, there and I was the same, there's something, there's something in that 10 seconds where you have Edair frantically tearing up advertising hoarding, putting the ball down, and then whipping in the most incredible corner you've ever seen in the circumstances. Yeah. He yeah. whips that ball in, and it goes in under the crossbar, where Zoff has to do something. And another Brazilian, I don't know who it was, just flings himself at the ball. But somehow Zoff gets it away. And it's in that mo- it's that collision of two teams in a moment. This brilliant, this brilliant, brilliant, brilliant crossed ball that just who else could do it but equally it is met by a magnificent goalkeeper a 40 year old goalkeeper who just is so good at the basics and concentration and discipline and he prevails he prevails and it's there's something in that and 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 even then um it was the clear the ball there's a defensive header like eight yards from the goal and there's a Brazilian guy trying to execute an overhead kick um, <laughs> even at the, like the last act of the game a failed overhead kick by a Brazilian yeah. player yeah. and it's, uh, it's, <sighs> it's it's very poetic you know and and then just like that the greatest game ever is over the celebrations from the Italians are so in keeping with the narrative they uh, you know Mick you've, you've set it up for us they were like god these guys like are we good enough like they are absolute. They're like a cup side who've just upset the big team. They genuinely cannot believe it. They're you know, 
team mentors, the substitutes, everybody, officials are all streaming onto the field. They're embracing. The camera goes to the to the, the great curves that we spoke about at the start of the conversation and the flags are up. The crowd is going crazy. But like in these things, and of course we're guided by the cameras here, but they're drawn, the cameras are drawn to the Brazilians coming off and you see Eder blessing himself and you see Paulo Isidoro blessing himself and Leandro's clapping some invisible player in front of him on the back as they go off. And, you know, there's that side to it as well. And you see that, I mean, again, it's just it's things like that draw my eye, like that moment of faith, like where they're just blessing themselves as they come off. doesn't matter whether win, lose or draw, they're probably doing that every time. And it's like this game, you know, they could have done it but they didn't. But there will be another game. But for Italy, it's an extraordinary moment. Like it's 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 immediately opened up the entire World Cup, of course, obviously, because everybody's this point is assuming Brazil is just gonna walk to the final and they will duly win it against whoever. But now, all of a sudden, all bets are off. Do you know one thing I also thought about Billy Joe is Brazil went through five games in the World Cup and started twelve players. Yeah, well, I was just thinking there when you were talking about the Italians as well, thinking, uh, well, how did we beat these guys, these superheroes? You know, they they had seen Falcao, you know, well, Falcao was going to play in, in Roma, and if he can't even make the team, how good are the rest of them uh, at the for the start of the for the start of the tournament? But look, I think you, you to, to come back to your point, Rob, you only had two substitutions. You knew what the midfield was going to be. You knew they'd striker troubles. You know, they didn't care who played in their back four. They had the ball at all times, so it really didn't matter. I, I understand. I understand why they only played. Why they they are two El Salvadorian officials are justifying why they reduced their squad from twenty two to twenty because of Brazil. Because <laughs> Brazil didn't use six players in that World Cup. Three of them never even appeared on the bench. So those two El Salvadorians going now. Now you see why we were able to go. Again, looking at the reportage the following day. You get you get the kind of the reports that you sort of sadly half expect. I mean, one guy was shot and killed in Sao Paulo during an argument post match. Um, two, three people killed themselves, and five others collapsed, needing hospital treatment in Rio. Two big hospitals in Rio reported a major spike in admissions for hypertension and nervous breakdowns. In Fortaleza, one person shot himself, and two others died of a heart attack. Tilly Santana's family were threatened. It was that was you know you're talking about the reaction you know there was there was no social media this was you know that's the extreme reaction but I mean the devastation in Brazil initially to defeat is very palpable. It almost seems absurd that those are the outcomes of a football match like they're so tragic. I mean, but coming back to your point, Rob, about you know how did people feel at the time? Like this team by. The people we know that we're friends with that are older than us is revered to this day. Like they, they feel that there was a loss of romance in football with the exit of this team from the World Cup. Like how many of these have we done now? So many. <laughs> You're losing count. But four hundred and twelve. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, like they, they are just such a compelling group of men in terms of the stories that we've learned about them. And as they go, like we kind of felt a tinge of sadness when Scotland went, because, you know, they were another team that we were looking at going, oh, wow. I think we really haven't touched on Italy yet, so I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, we know now that they're going to have two games, so I'm looking forward to finding out more about them. The reaction post-match, I mean, Tele Santana was applauded when he arrived into the press conference and when he left didn't offer any excuses, credit to Italy, basically said, look, 
it was a game where, you know, he never he said he he said you know he never said that Brazil could not be beaten. Uh, he said it was a well balanced match. Both teams were in good form. Both made attacking tactics. Brazil made mistakes and Italy took advantage of them. It was simple as that. Beerzot, keep in mind, Italy are still on the old media ban. So there's nothing coming from them. But Beerzot essentially just said that, look, we, we learned a lot in the first phase. And remember, Beerzot made the point that they would get better as the tournament went on. So that, you know, today, this game was a culmination of all their learnings from the, the first three games and then, then the match against Argentina. But um, the most poignant one, I think, for me, um, it was Zico after the game. He said, there's nothing wrong in losing with dignity. It's part of the game. We were obviously saddened by the result, but everybody had clear consciences. The Selexiao were going home, but we had stood by our convictions to the end. We didn't allow the win at any cost mentality to compromise our belief in the beautiful game. It's very poignant. I'm not sure I entirely agree with the sentiment. I think, you know, ultimately... If you want your style of football to be justified, you do have to win the game and you have to play in a manner that ensures you win the game. But, you know, it's very hard. It's very hard. It's very hard to diss Zico, really. In this no, situation. but you need you need luck, too. Like, I think coming back to the Koreka thing, like that's bad luck occurring that had it gone the other way. We would be talking about this team potentially in an entirely different manner. Those are the grains of sand, as they say, that, you know, flick the scales. Billy Joe, do you, do you leave feeling the same way that people that bit older eulogise this team, or have we looked at it a little bit more coldly here? And will we just go? Will we just bemoan their naivety or whatever else you want to pick out? I feel frustration that they didn't win. I, I said that at the outset, but I don't. I don't apportion any blame to them because it's like it's like we remember the Brazil team of '82 for their brilliance. We don't remember the Brazil team of '94. Uh, we don't even remember the Brazil team of 2002, even though they had some really wonderful players. We remember, you know, uh, people will remember the Dutch team of 74. They didn't win. You know, if you go back far enough, people will remember Hungary in 54. And I suppose the impact that all those great teams that didn't win World Cups, and it, it doesn't make a difference whether they won or not. I don't think the winning or losing makes any difference. The way they played the game influenced how other coaches and other teams wanted to play the game after that and I think that's important I think what what is more important if I was Brazilian what I would feel the Brazilian reaction to the defeat in 82 has damaged their footballing culture to such an extent that I'm not sure they can they can get it back and I think that that crossroads in 82 Brazil decided to go one way when it really should have gone the other way the other thing I would say about them and it's one of the more interesting parts of this DeLorean we've been spinning about in for the last few weeks because this Brazilian team had a humility to them that I like. And I don't think it's evident in the most recent Selexo we've seen. You know, I just wonder if in all the globalization of the game in the 40 years since, that's one of the things that's been lost because we don't see, you don't really see footballers like Socrates or Zico anymore because they're not the type of characters that prosper in the game anymore. It strikes me that there's two teams in this World Cup that, that are unrecognisable to as I know them now. Spain, the aggression, as opposed to the group I know now. I couldn't, I just, who's this Spain? And Brazil, because this is, this Brazil is, is just so unrecognisable to the Brazil I know now and in the opposite direction of Spain in terms of likability. Uh, yeah, I guess the the thing for all of us with with Brazil is 
1982 version more than any other because of TV, because of uh, our exposure to them, um, and because of the players on that team are they are the Brazil. I guess the the, the Brazil that like Billy said they they've never gotten back to that, but it's it's what we have come to expect some something of this team to be in every Brazil team since and they've just never gotten back to it so when you say Rob that maybe uh, they're unrecognisable to what they what they are at the moment or what they've been subsequently I disagree slightly in that we've always wanted a return to this um, this 1982 version of Brazil even though they didn't win a World, World Cup and they won World Cups uh, subsequently but just to go back to to, to the, early, the earlier point about so so often we see teams like this in, in all manner of sports who are literally trying to perfect the sport they're playing as art and they get beaten by the antithesis of what they are. Um, so if to, to make that example work, Italy would have bored them to death and beaten them 1-0 and Brazil would have left this tournament beaten that way, which would have been an entirely different kind of loss. But I suppose the beauty of this game and the beauty of watching this game and their exit from this World Cup was they were beaten by a team that were brilliant on the day. Uh, they were, you know, they completely justified their victory. They didn't play defensive football and eke out a victory. Uh, and there's some sort of, I think, poetic justice for both teams in that, that at least Brazil went out scoring goals. You know, 3-2 is like a classic game in any World Cup. But it is, it is obviously like, it's sad, but like Italy, by God, did they earn it? You know, did they earn it? Like, and they earned it playing at times brilliant football in this game that Brazil themselves would have been proud of. But yeah, it is every version of Brazil that we've seen since has disappointed in comparison. And there's definitely been a, a you know, a broadening gap between what they were and what has, what has, what has come since. But the other side of that, though, is like, look at the players we're talking about. They were like, you know, one of those midfield three that you speak about so often were generational that you could perhaps build a team around. And they had three of them in Zico, Socrates and Falcao. There's a photograph that appeared on a Brazilian newspaper the following day that has sort of down the years in Brazil become the epitome of this day. And it's a photograph of a 10 year old boy in tears in the stand he's there with his mom and his dad and they're watching the game the photographer they were sitting quite close to the press box the photographer who was in the area obviously spotted something that's just started clicking and it's it's a very powerful picture when you put it into context of of what we're talking about placar who i mentioned before um did a full 40th anniversary edition of their magazine on brazil 82 during the summer this year and they found the boy who was obviously now 50 years of age and they interviewed him about his day and, and how he felt and he talked about how he cried and cried and cried and you know his father actually got annoyed with him by the end so which is just stop crying they got back to the hotel he was still crying and so on and so forth he was talking in 2022 about this and, and he said you know they were disappointed of course and when he thinks about it now he still feels disappointed but he said we were happy and we didn't know it he said happy for the quality of that team, happy because Brazil, despite everything, despite permanent inequality, was on the way to turning the page on the dictatorship. It is a story that moves me, that I always remember from my children, and it authorises a certainty that the boy really is the father of the man. So what he saw on that day shaped him so much 
and what that football team did shaped Brazil itself in some ways. And it offered people, in, uh, you know, immense hope in terms of the, the lives they were living at the time. And as Colin mentioned there, I mean, at the end of the day, because Italy played so well, it meant that history could find space for them both at the end of the game. And, you know, it's why we remember Brazil so fondly, that particular Brazil team, and we always will. If you'd like a little bit more on the legacy of this game, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Hispania82. You literally buy us a coffee, maybe even a couple of coffees, and you get some extra content such as our bonus material on this game. But for now, we have to finish every show with a team of the day, and this is part two of the day, but we have already said at the end of part one, I think only Brian Robinson can be thrown into the mix here to possibly make his way onto this team. And we did say at the end of the episode, best of luck with that there, Brian. Uh, has he made it? Who knows? We we'll wait Who and wants see. To lead this one? This is a killer. He was good. For what sport? I, I think he has, Rob. I think he Ooh. has because um, we've talked about certain guys disappearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when we talk about right, well, who are going to be the nailed on players here? Let's let's look at it. Dino's off is nailed on. Okay. You Dino. can you can mm-hmm. book in, book ended with Dino's off and Paolo Rossi. You know because they yeah. they just yeah so. yeah and and yeah, I, I think I think Graziani's performance warrants the other forward position if you're going in a four four two for sure. Um, I think Cabrini is in in there. Cabrini's in. Absolutely, yeah. I think Gentile is in. Bruno Conti. How could you, Gentile? What? Did a job. He's effective. Yeah. He's effective. Did a job. Like, he's effective. You don't have to like it. <laughs> so it's a battering ram. I'll tell you what. I think it was. I think it was five. I think he. I think it was six fouls. Uh, in this match Zico died Zico. for one of them I'll put that there Will Zico did die for one of them <laughs> Five on Zico Okay Hear me out I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go I'm going to go here with 3-5-2 um, Okay With 3-5-2 We do this every time I know Don't I say know, that I like know. that's an idea yeah. Yeah. We haven't put four but, at the back once I just, well, <laughs> Maybe we like to play out Even know. when Northern Ireland were playing That was it <laughs> So, so we're gonna go. We're going Zico. We've got two Italians up top. Um, are, are, are we kicking Gentile out? I think he should be in. Cabrini's no. definitely in. If you want him in, you right? Gentile's in. Um, there isn't going to be a Brazilian defender here, lads. So, Can't who's be. our third Italian at the back? No, I, I th- well, I thought your man Oriali. I know he. Pl- I think he played right back. I thought he was very good, yeah. to be honest as well. I agree. Okay, uh, so, so there, there's three. Okay, fully agree. So now, in in this five man midfield, I think we can accommodate Brian Robson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bruno I think Conti we're accommodating Bruno Conti. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think we're looking at Tardelli in there. Mm. Well, and then you're looking right. at Seiko and Socrates, aren't we? Fal- Cow. Oh, Falcao! Falcao instead of Socrates. Cheerio, Robbo. I know, I'd have Falcao. I'm not sure. Tardelli went off after Central Fight. He had a great game, but maybe, maybe we could squeeze him out. Anyone? No? I, uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I would say that I would have had Antonioni in there before Tardelli. I would have as well. I would have had Falcao when they had a Socrates. I know what the lads think. What do you reckon? Oof. Oh, you can't. Put, I, I, after, I, I, that, after the first goal, jeez, mm. you, you're harsh. I, 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 my preference would have been to have Socrates and Falcao ahead of Zico. You know, whichever way you, you go, and 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 I think Zico is top dog, but I just didn't think this was his greatest okay, game so, because so, did so well. Conte, mm. check. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Antonioni, check. Yeah. Oh, 
Okay. Falcao and Socrates and Brian Robson. That works for yeah, me. I can live with that. I can live with that. Yeah. I, 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 I still think Zico was better than, than, than what you're giving the credit for, but fair enough. Fair we enough, could fair put enough. Zico in instead of Graziano. No, 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 no sign of Sergino anywhere. Not at all. So let me just, I just <laughs> read it back. Colin, do you want to make a case for Sergino just before you <clears> leave this? No, I, I'm, you know, I, I, when I close my <laughs> eyes and, and dream tonight, I'll see him. So before I'm you read him. out the tea. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I love about this Mick is like every other podcast and there hasn't been a lot that have done the 82 World Cup more than like one episode but they all just hammer Serginho what I'm proud of in this podcast is for the first four games we have bloody well tried we've picked out good moments we have made our best effort this has not been just us knocking him we even left out we even left out his dubious disciplinary record yeah uh, the, and when I say linesman. dubious I mean I mean, extremely violent. He kicked a linesman. That's why he missed the 1978 World Cup. He was he was serving a 14 month ban, and in 1981 he was banned again for putting his foot in the opposition goalkeeper's face during a game against Sao Paulo at the Campeonato Brasileiro final. So, like you know, we didn't even mention that. Can we? But can we be absolutely certain that he intended to do either? when I read them yeah. we, 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 met, we mentioned the myth but if, like it's worth, if when people look back at the, the game the replay there's a replay behind the goal of the miss in the first half and you just see how much of the goal is wide open for him it's it's it's, it's criminal it's really criminal yeah, yeah look I, I genuinely feel a sympathy for him because he's kind of like you know you've gone to you've gone to see the Mona Lisa and He's the dirty bit down in the corner that nobody pays any attention to. You know, it's it's tough on poor old Sergino. Now, one thing, Rob. We we've had debates about Brazilian nicknames over the course of this. Uh, in our extensive research on Careca, i.e., his Wikipedia page, it says that Careca means bald man, and it comes from a, cl- a bald clown that he liked as a child. So I have found my Brazilian nickname. Nah. Henceforth, I shall be Careca. You are Careca. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of ironic for Careca, because he's got that kind of coming to America, oh, he soul has, glow. He's, he's got Red beautiful hair, hair. Yeah. as I recall. Yeah. Lad, for our listeners, just as first for you guys, I think we should do a trick on social media. I think you should take Rossi out and put Serginho into your cool graphics <laughs> on Team of the Day just to get enough hits and people listening that they all go, what? It's wrong. How could a podcast? And they go, oh, you tricked us. That's what I think you should do. All right, that's it from us. Tomorrow uh, is... Okay, go. we got to list off the team. Oh, you were going to relist it just so people can make sense of it. Well, it was just Make sense. Go for yeah. it, Mick. I'll count all the Italians as he does it. Yeah, I will do. Okay. Okay, so we've got Zoff and goal, right? One. We've got Zoff and goal, and your back three, Ariali, who's kind of a midfielder. Ariali, Gentile, Cabrini. Two, three, four. Uh, Our five in the middle is Antonioni, Falcao, Brian Robson, uh, Socrates, and Bruno Conti. And up front is, is Graziani and Rossi. Oh, I just love the idea of Robson in that team. That was the team he needed around him. Rather than like great Italians. God knows who else. All right. Eight Italians, you cannot say that we have not recognised the greatness oh. they brought to this game. We'll have two more matches to have a crack at them as well, won't we? Semi-finals is the next episode. Thanks for listening. Just before we go, a little request from us to you. If you're enjoying the shows, please follow, like and rate them. We'd love to see your comments and feedback. And if you'd like to support what we're doing, you can always buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash España82, where we've left a bonus episode for those who do. 
see you next time. Thanks for listening.